Hello everyone, it's Friday the 12th of November and welcome to episode 81 of the Kite Podcast with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now with COP26 drawing to a close, we've been reminded of the importance of looking at the world on a bigger scale. And that's exactly what we're going to be doing on today's show with today's guest, Simon Stevens, who is Executive Vice President of Arla and Head of Arla Foods International. Earlier this year, um, Arla released their strategy, which suggests significant growth in the dairy market in the Middle East, Africa and Asia Pacific regions. And indeed, they've been experiencing around 10% annual growth in certain international markets, um, and they expect further growth at this kind of scale. They're also investing directly in a dairy farm in Nigeria as one example of this confidence for growth in Africa. Um, Alongside Simon, we're joined by Kite's managing partner, John Allen, today. And as always, by everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you for the Milk Market Report. Where are you this week? Well, I'm bringing you my report from a hairdresser in the north of England and Scotland to celebrate the fact that we've got Simon Stevens on the podcast. Now, I don't know Simon at all, but I've taken a look at his credentials on the Arla website. And what (laughs) this tells me is that out of all of Arla's executive management team, and he is one, Simon has by far the trendiest hairstyle. (laughs) (laughs) And that's saying something because I have to say the majority of the Arla board do have truly wonderful hairdos. In fact, I think that's why Arla is so successful. <laughs> it's not the brands, nor the international markets, nor its fantastic owners. It's the predominance of big hair in the boardroom, big bouffants in the boardroom. Poor old Ash, he needs to get himself a wig. <laughs> so why am I up here in the grim northern Tartan land? Well, that's because Mr. Simon has had years of experience managing the MENA regions for Arla, which is obviously Yorkshire and Scotland, because dairy farmers here are the meanest and tightest in the world. (laughs) And Simon is also famous for giving Ash his first job in Unilever some 25 years ago and who he brought to Arla 20 years ago. So the questions we all want to know from you are these. Just how good was Ash in the post room and at shuffling paper clips? Does he still make you tea? Because he is, you have to say, a mean tea boy. And above all, what's his biggest cock up? But before that, to the markets. And another very good week on the official listings with no price drops at all. However, last week I said there were some signs of the market topping out, and that has proven to be the case. Uh, Butter prices at the lower frozen end of dip below 5,000 euros a tonne for the first time in a month, but the top fresh end is holding up. And there's a big range of prices on the market between frozen and fresh, and I think the market will start to dip as we go into December. Inactivity will kick in for the festive season, And also the Irish co-ops normally start selling off now because it's the end of the financial year when finance directors wake up from an 11-month nap and get cross. Do they do that in Arla, Simon? I think they probably do. 
Cream oil here is also still high in Europe, but that has dipped a touch too. In the UK, it's rising still, going as high as 227, delivered into Middle England Shire. So that's great. It means the cream income to a liquid processor is nearly 13p. So processors are creaming it in on cream. Skin powder continues to be strong and strengthening three 100 euros and the combination of butter and skim milk powder get this in normal times and by that i mean with normal costs equates to a whopping 39p but we are of course not in normal times and we have to those factor those costs in so it relates i think probably back to 35 36p and be aware these cost prices will increasingly be reflected in milk price formulas like UK MFE in the next couple of weeks. So beware of that. Mild cheddar's increased again with one firm now getting 3,500 sterling, but that's on the export market. But again, a positive. And spot milk continues to be in the high 43 to 45p zone. So that's it from me. And now on to our guest, Mr. Haircut 100. <laughs> Talk about milk by all means. But when it comes to ash, spill the beans. Before that, though, a little birdie that will remain nameless, but has flown in all the way from Iran, tells me that your career isn't without its blemishes either. <laughs> In fact, I gather you made your biggest balls up, not once, but twice. But he says you did redeem yourself at a particularly difficult time by deliberately breaking your foot on holiday so you could visit customers on crutches and play the sympathy card. Clearly nobody breaks a leg more for Arla than you do. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> intrigued <laughs> <laughs> thank you chris simon welcome to the show can you introduce yourself first of all tell us what m-e-n-a really means and give us some detail about your role in the broader arla business okay um uh let me start with the easy one of m-e-n-a so m-e-n-a is middle east and north africa um, so, uh, and it's our biggest, uh, region in international, um, to be fair, it's, we've got a very big business in the ME bit and a very small business in the NA. So whilst it is, uh, it is called Middle East and North Africa, reality is, uh, we've got a, a, a huge business where we're number one in most of the Middle East countries and, uh, North Africa falls into the opportunity uh, category. Um, but in terms of me and giving you a very quick, uh, yeah, I was 14 years in Unilever, um, joined Arla 19 years ago. First 13 years were in the UK, um, initially as sales director. Um, uh, yeah, biggest mistake would clearly be uh, recruiting Ash. Um, uh, I am clearly only joking on that one, by the way. Um, but uh, uh, so started as sales director, then became sales and marketing director, was there for 13 years, uh, clearly through various CEOs, starting with David Selkeld through Neil Davidson and uh, 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 et cetera. And uh, clearly we built the... 
we built the UK business from sort of 400 million uh, to, to over 2 billion. Uh, so it was it was uh, a lot of fun, not without challenges, but a, a great time. Um, I then left uh, UK six years ago, so I'm going to struggle to answer any questions on anything to do with the UK. So uh, hopefully there won't be any. Uh, but yes, I, my previous job was running our Middle East North Africa business. Uh, currently, I head up our international business, uh, which to give you some idea, we have two zones. One's Europe and one's international. So the easiest way to describe it would be everything that isn't Europe. Okay. So Simon, as you mentioned in the intro, you gave Ash Amiramadi, Arla's managing director, his first sales job uh, at Unilever. And then he came over to work for you at Arla. So you both obviously go back um, a long way together, yeah? Yeah, yes. So we were both at Unilever together. And to be honest, on the sales job, uh, it was a very strange. Uh, I was presenting to uh, the supply chain in Unilever one time. Ash happened to be in the audience. He came up to me afterwards and said uh, he was sufficiently inspired that he'd like to explore an opportunity in sales. And honestly, when you've got uh, relationship building and leadership skills like Ash has, I think his talents were probably wasted uh, where they were. So uh, he came and joined sales. Uh, he was also the one person I brought with me uh, from from Unilever. So yes, those would be my two biggest mistakes, clearly. Um, <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah, uh, he's he's clearly doing a great job of running the UK business. He's also one of my best friends, to be fair. So uh, yeah. Um, so how does international development fit into Arla's business? Um, I, for for Arla, it's our growth engine. Um, simply because, uh, you know, not the UK actually, but some of the other markets, our shares are quite high uh, in Europe, uh, therefore a little bit more difficult to grow. Whereas, which is not saying we're not growing because we are, uh, but but uh, the international side, I think one, it's growing because they've increasingly in most of the markets we're in got big dairy deficits, so they need to import more. Dairy consumption is pretty low and growing in many of them. Dairy is just seen as so positive. It's got the nutritional benefits. There aren't any sustainability uh, questions or challenges. It's just seen as a healthy, nutritious food. We've also seen in COVID times, particularly in some regions, and MENA Middle East would be top of my list, people really moved in COVID times to dairy. I mean, we saw our sales in Middle East last year grow by 20%. Um, so, so people moved to dairy, there are the health benefits of it. Um, I think also outside of the Middle East where we've got a very big business in the others, we're growing businesses. So, so we're growing our brand share, uh, we're, 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 we're building our brands. So I think the population growth on one hand, the dairy deficit on the other, the growing GDP per capita, you know, they can increasingly now the middle class, the growing middle class can afford uh, our products in many of these regions. And that's why in, in Southeast Asia, in all markets, we're really building strong businesses uh, and in China, et cetera. So I think not only have we grown it, but there will be actually quite a lot of growth going forward as well, A, just due to what's happening in the market, and then clearly various interventions that we're making, building new capabilities, putting in new capacity, et cetera. Yeah. 
So traditionally, um, it seems that the ALA model was to make dairy products in Europe and then export them across the world. Is this um, international focus a shift in strategy to investing abroad and and building on local markets and selling to local customers? And and if it is, why is that so important? Um, I think it's a combination of both, to be honest. You're right. Historically, that's exactly what we did do. And we continue to do it. So, you know, we are growing Lurpak around the world. We are growing Starbucks around the world. So, so, uh, and and these are product, and we're exporting UHT milk and family nutrition powder into Nigeria and Bangladesh and everything else. So there is still the bulk of the business is indeed export from Europe, um, from our farmer owners uh, and moving products uh, out around the world. What we also, however, find is that when you get to a sufficient scale, however, you also need to be investing locally to do some things. And indeed, the local governments also expect you to be doing something to help them with dairy development uh, as well. So, so for example, if I took Middle East, um, you know, we've recently uh, just completed actually this year the Bahrain expansion from a 20,000 ton cheese plant to a 90,000 ton uh, cheese plant. And to put that in perspective, that's the second biggest then cheese facility that Arla has got. Um, And that's to serve the Middle East region. Um, We're also just investing right now and it'll open later this year in moving Starbucks production out to the Middle East, etc. And we're investing in Bangladesh uh more and we'll be investing more in nigeria on a farm and production so i think there isn't a let up in the strategy of uh, uh exporting our farmers milk across the world because actually that's the main job but in in where it makes sense and where it's relevant and where we can build strong business cases we will also invest in local production where we believe we can get higher returns which then uh, increases our milk price to our farmers. So, so that, in a summary, is probably the strategy. Can I just ask Simon, with, with that plant in Bahrain, then do do you actually source milk locally for it, or do you export powder and then reconstitute it and then make the cheese? How, how does that work then? Sorry to be techy. No, no, no. It's a bit of all of those things actually. Right. No, it's not local milk. So, no. so we're bringing in cheddar and butter and powder yes all of those things right yeah and then, and then but the the nigerian plant then is actually you're helping their developer dairy farm if i understand it as part of a development project for the and that's like the nigerian government saying if you want to be here then you know give spot, us yeah spot on john so that's exactly what it is so whereas middle east was our we bought the craft business from Mondelez, which came with a Bahrain factory, and it gave us the, which this was the 20,000 tons of craft. It then gave us the ideal opportunity to put on an extra 70,000 tons and build it into this huge cheese facility. That was entirely our decision. It was nothing prompted by the Bahrain government or anything else other than the fact they've been very helpful. Um, But Nigeria is absolutely a that's in work with the Nigerian government who really want us to help develop local dairy. And they need to. I mean, the populations 
forecast, I think, to double to 400 million people. Uh, and when you're going from 200 to 400 and dairy is increasingly becoming part of the diet, then that they need us to uh, do that. So, so I think we are increasingly importing uh, powder into Nigeria, but in parallel to that, we, we indeed, as you quite rightly say, we're building a farm. We will clearly also build then local production because what are we going to do with the milk from that farm? Um, we're also in parallel working with the Nigerian government to try and um, uh, there are a, a good thousand nomadic farmers uh, that the Nigerian government would like to become well, whatever the English is for unnomadic. Uh, I've clearly been out of the country for too long. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, lost the ability to speak English. Um, but uh, anyway, uh, so so uh, stopping these uh, these farmers wandering and trampling over uh, other people's grounds, uh, and and have them next to our farm. So so then there will be quite a lot of local milk, and therefore our plan would be in the next year or so that we build some local production facilities to use the milk as well. Um, Can I just, just ask about the Nigerian situation? Because my understanding is, one is because they've got a pastoral-based society, then actually they do value livestock products to start with, but they haven't got much money, so therefore they don't consume very much at present, like you're saying. But also their market is very immature in the sense that because of economic development they got low gdp per head so therefore very susceptible to price change and i noticed their demand dropped when, when they have bad times demand drops but then demand goes up when they get some money in their pocket is that how it works in that marketplace then? a little bit the only thing i would say though is that i mean for us it's our biggest powder market anywhere in the world wow uh, our demand this year, our sales this year, uh, plus fifteen to twenty percent. Um, so, so, and we see that sort of growth. Now we have been winning share with the number two brand, uh, and we have been gaining share, and think we will continue to gain share because we're doing all the right things nutritionally and with the building the Aladano brand. Um, uh, and we're building market capability, but we certainly see it as a big growth engine for us going forward. And it's very important in terms of our family nutrition strategy. And having just invested 180 million building a Pronsfeld powder tower, what's the number one market for it? Nigeria. Mm -hmm. So, so, so Bangladesh being number two. So, so it, it's increasingly important bit of our strategy. On strategy, Simon, uh, what's what's driving your focus in terms of uh, where you invest, how you invest? I mean, is it is it purely commerciality, or are there other reasons as well? Uh, that's a very good question. So, so um, yeah, I mean, Middle East is certainly commerciality. Um, uh, that's a very attractive market for us, uh, indeed. So that's being driven by commerciality. I think there is also a little for us in Nigeria and Bangladesh that is also more about, though, being seen to do the right thing and help bring dairy nutrition to uh, families uh, in an affordable manner. So, so there I wouldn't say it's completely driven only by commerciality. But at the end of the day, 
we're not going to do anything that loses money. So fundamentally for me an international, I need to generate a higher return than than the UK or Denmark or Sweden or any of the markets that where our, our, our farmer owned home markets, because otherwise, why would I get the milk? I need to be adding value to our farmer's milk price, not taking away from it. So, I, I, yes, I would put commerciality up there probably as the first one, but it's not quite as brutally ruthless as that might sound. Uh, yeah. I'd just come in here as well, because you might confirm it or not, Simon, but my understanding is, and I think this is sometimes forgotten by picky people in the West, is that, you know, dairy is highly valued in those, yes. in a lot of places around the world. Isn't yes. it? People yes. will pay more of their income. I mean, I've got oh. a friend who started farming Zimbabwe recently, and they'll pay they'll pay a higher price for milk than they will do in the UK. So yes. Oh, definitely. Highly valued. Yeah. De de definitely, John. You're you're a hundred percent spot on. So so the reality is, in most of these markets I've just talked about, dairy is so highly regarded, it is untrue. I mean, the mothers are wanting to feed their kids with dairy products for them to grow up healthy, and uh, and when you look at all of our advertising, that's actually also what we're so so so. It is that there is it's seen as the most healthy, nutritious food you could possibly give to your kids. Um, and they will certainly pay a, uh, you know, uh, spend a much higher proportion of their income on exactly that. And there are no negatives with dairy at all. It's just seen as the most positive food. And as I say, my best example would be if I just gave you on the Middle East. In COVID times, they they turned to dairy because of the vitamins and nutrients mm -hmm. in the hope that it might give them more protection. Yeah. Um, so it's just seen as this healthy, nutritious food. And plant-based might exist, but there's no great, I mean, people know it's nowhere near as healthy and nutritious as, as dairy products. Uh, they realize that. So that's why they're not turning to it. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. Why do you think? Why do you think that is, Simon? Is, is that is that uh, is that marketing reasons, or is, is that a, more of a cultural link? I think it's a cultural thing. I think there isn't this. Uh, yeah, I think perhaps on plant based, some of the people doing it have have somehow managed to sort of see it as cool and alternative and European. Uh, the, but but in 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 many of these countries I've just been talking about, what they're looking at is the nutritional content of what's best to feed my kid. Yeah. <laughs> it isn't yeah. what's it isn't what's cool and trendy yeah. and who does the best job of appealing to eighteen year old teenagers with something that's new and alternative or free from or or, or whatever. It's what is the best nutrition I can give to my kids. Yeah, and we we've done some work, Ben which we'll be talking about in coming weeks, where if you've got a kilogram of carbon, the best value for money, nutrition, you get out of using that kilogram of carbon is to make dairy. It isn't to make almond milk. It isn't to make any of the alts. You get you get more nutrition per kilogram of carbon out of dairy than any of the others. And I think that's a big fact that, yeah, we've got to get over to Joe Public. But I think what Simon's doing today is just saying it for us. I mean, those people in in his markets have got more common sense than the whole lot of them in uh, Glasgow. Yeah, let's, I mean, let, let's speak about that. Let's, let's turn towards Cop. <laughs>
not exactly <laughs> difficult, John. <laughs> uh, I couldn't decide whether you had been derogatory to the uh, delegates in Glasgow or really. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, 40,000 40, of them. I mean, God. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, been talking of talking of cop um and simon i'm interested in, in your view actually of the last two weeks now how that's been but last week on the show uh we were talking about the the csec project um, and calculating uh carbon sequestration at farm level um where does your international investment and in, in projects such as nigeria such as your nigeria project um fit into global dairy platform strategy for net zero outcomes um which are are heavily involved in yeah, I, I I will struggle to answer that uh, question too much. In that, I would also say that while sustainability for European consumers is clearly very high up the agenda, particularly if you're Scandinavian or or or, or UK, and therefore it is really really important to us in all of those markets. If you're in Nigeria or Bangladesh. Honestly, you're just trying to feed your family with a bit of healthy nutrition. The sustainability or otherwise doesn't really come into it. Now, that does not mean, however, that we're not doing stuff on sustainability because we are. So particularly on the packaging in Bangladesh, our packaging is everywhere because it's the number one brand and it needs to be more sustainable. Equally, it is easier to also do sustainability in some of our factories uh, in 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 uh, uh, Middle East than other places. So, where so one of the big projects we got for next year is sticking solar panels on the roof of Bahrain. And hey, guess what? It works quite well because there's uh, a fair bit of sun during the course of the year. Um, in fact, 356 days of the year. So, so um, I think that so there's things we are doing that even though for the Bahrainian or indeed anywhere else in Middle East population, it's not very high up their list of priorities neither, which if you're the main oil producing region in the world, uh, it probably isn't going to be yet. Um, but there's things we're doing anyway, simply to support the overall ALA ambitions you know, we have to get our own carbon footprint down, we've said by 63% by 2030, um, uh, and on farm by 30. So, so uh, you know, it's part of doing that. So we are investing quite heavily in our international supply chain to uh, improve the sustainability, even though at this moment in time, for some of the populations, it isn't top of the agenda list, it would be fair to say. Um, or if it is, it's something else they're worried about. So if you're in Beijing, are they worried about it? Yes. But what they're worried about is the air quality in their city. Um, so so I think there's a slightly different perspective to it in international markets. And I'm sorry that probably didn't directly answer your question, but Last it's probably year. about the best attempt I can make. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to come in because I, I, th- I, th- I think you're missing your trick, Simon, because the, the, the as part of the global dairy platform, and we had those on, 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 on here, I, I think Arla can do a, a great job, like you're going to do in Nigeria, of promoting the... Um, improvement in production around the world because that could actually resonate with 
European yes. consumers. Yes, because actually, you you know the world dairy footprint for car, uh, for, for uh, dairy is three times what it is in Europe. So we can take that our technology and how, help and, yes. and actually improve the farmers in the local markets, and that will help with global cooling, as we've heard before. So I, I, I yes. think I, I think there's a really positive role that we can do as a dairy in Europe to tell consumers and the Western policymakers that we're part of the solution to actually delivering nutrition in a in a sustainable way around the world and I, I think this is this will be part of it like that Nigerian project myself yes no I agree with that John and also because of the low carbon footprint of our farmers in UK mm. Denmark Sweden Germany etc actually strangely it is better in terms of sustainability to produce it there and then export in many places than actually produce in some of the other markets simply because the carbon footprint is so low on our farms uh in 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 uk denmark sweden uh germany etc so so i i i probably didn't give the best answer in the world it is it is very much part of the strategy even though in the markets we're in it isn't necessarily the most important thing for them. But actually, we're doing it because we have to contribute to yeah. Arla's. It, it, let's be honest, it's Arla's number one objective. So, so, yeah. so, uh, um, uh, and it, it's the number one, well, not number one objective. It's the number one thing we called out in the strategy. So, so everybody is doing everything they can to contribute to it because to achieve the sustainability goals we put in the strategy, we're all going to have to uh, to lean in. Can I just ask Simon then, at a strategic level that you're talking about, if this demand, and we, we've got a report coming out in a couple of weeks that'll support this, so it's all part of Project Reset, is a bigger project. But if you've got this growing demand around the world, and then policymakers in Europe deny you the license to operate and produce more milk in Europe, which is looks like that's what the EU is going to do for a start. How do you how how do you in developing your business, Frala? Where do you think you're going to source the milk? Is that got to be local for local in those markets? And it's no, no, and it's not going to be local for local in those markets, John, because. Um, you know, actually, I mean, there'll be a little bit of that, but in most of the markets I'm talking about, they've got they're going to have increasing dairy deficits. Exactly. So, so the reality is, the China deficit, I think, is 15 billion tons today. It will grow to 20. Uh, similarly, in Africa, in, in Southeast Asia, that's also about 15 to 20. In Southeast Asia, d- d- dairy is increasingly going to be a dairy deficit in all of these markets. And actually, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all plays out in the next five, 10 years, because what they're going to be looking to do, there isn't going to be any more milk coming from Oceania. That isn't going to happen. And Fonterra and others have said so that are more expert than me. At best, we'll stand on, but it'll probably go backwards slightly. And clearly, as you know better than me, they have been the main exporting region. So it isn't coming from there. So you then say, where is it coming from? And the only real two places that it's going to come from is Europe and America. But then if it doesn't come from Europe, then, I mean, we are going to have 30 million tons more global demand likely in the next five years. And honestly, if that doesn't, a significant part of that demand does not get filled from Europe, 
then the net net of that is dairy prices and uh, it's going to have and and, fo- and even food shortages could be what we end up seeing because the demand will be there. And I think what we are seeing at the moment for the first time I can remember, but you and Chris uh, maybe have better memories than me. But when we've or seen... older. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to say you've probably got longer, but I thought I'd be uh, more polite. But uh, uh, I do remember the last two spikes that we saw in worldwide dairy uh, pricing 2013, 2007. Neither of them were driven by lack of supply. This is the first one right now that is being driven by lack of supply. And I think the question then is how long will it continue? Because we could actually see this not just being a short-term thing, but also being a medium and long-term thing. Because our best forecast is there'll only be 5 million tonnes come extra coming out of Europe in the next uh, five years. And that isn't going to touch the size of the 30 million then that I've just talked about. So that demand for milk is just going to really be there. Uh, And I think then we're into a very different place because I'm going to be needing that milk from Europe and I can get better prices. So what's then? I I, I think the industry in the UK and and much of Europe could be in for a very uh, interesting time over the next five years because the demand for the product and the competition for the product is going to go up quite significantly. John? There's been, as as we've mentioned, quite a lot of negative talk about livestock protein coming out of COP, and it feels, you know, as a farmer, it feels pretty relentless at the moment, that sort of criticism. How does it make you feel when you hear Simon talk about projects such as those in Nigeria and Bangladesh? Honestly, I feel bloody happy um, because it's very, very positive. Because, yeah. And that's why we partly got Simon on, because I know he's a positive guy and I've known him over the years but I mean the thing is that actually what he's outlined is something we've been saying and we've been talking about on this podcast uh, we're going to talk about it no doubt in coming weeks mm-hmm. uh, but actually what he's saying to the rest of the world and I hope policymakers and people do start to listen is that the you know the there will be these choices to be made as uh, as Becky's saying that actually there is a growing world demand for, for, for dairy and actually people want to have it as nutritious food and i think one of the things we do need to go away with is that we are in an industry that is producing a wonderful nutritious food and 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 i think i'm going to set before you a scenario um that i think i wish the people in uh, cop 26 had actually been thinking about so i'm going to set a world in front of you where you can buy your dairy or your meat from big business uh, raising venture capitalist money made with food made in factories from chemicals and processes we don't understand. Or you can choose to support a dairy industry that supports a billion people around the world and actually is small business people largely working through co-ops and actually providing a natural, nutritious food. Well, um, that's all we have time for. But a very big thank you to our guests today, Simon Stevens, John Allen and Chris Walkland. Fantastic. Yeah, what, what, what an episode. Thank you very much for listening. We'll be back next Friday. But for now, it's goodbye from all of us here.